Hey there, y'all. It's Cody from Godspeed once again. Thank you for tuning in to part two of Brian Helmick's testimony. We're going to finish up what he was saying, and then we will get straight into his wife Kristen's testimony. Thank you again for watching and enjoy. We have had on the front end to say, hey, listen, like Sundays, we have this commitment. We have, we're, we're committed to our church. It's a priority for our family. And, um, but every week it, that conversation resurfaces because, you know, the society, the general public are like, yeah, but we're in the championships this week. And it's like, we understand. So that's kind of what we're getting to is if it's in the championship, you know, or if it's to make it to the next step, then we can do those things, but we're trying to be guarded against it. But that's just one of many dynamics in a relationship that if we're not yoked in Christ, I mean, my wife and I would be shredded and understanding and, and I'm, and you know, that's, we, we, we're still trying to figure that out. So, um, it's not about religion. It's not about just checking boxes, no. but I, but I am guarding against what society and culture, they're going to draw my girls to comfort. They're going to draw my girls to doing what makes them happy. They're going to say that they get their identity and their satisfaction and their praise from their sports. And if they don't succeed well in these things, they're not going to be valued anymore. And, and I'm like, no, 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 your identity is being a, a son and or a daughter of God. Right. And that's where we need to find our value. And the only reason I can speak to this is because I've had those idols. Mm -hmm. I, I have those things that I have to fight every single day to not let my career. And that's the thing is I choose and thank God that he has advanced me and brought me into the fire service. But the, being a firefighter is not who I am. It's just what I'm, how I'm spending my time right now. And who I am is, is a Christian. I'm a, I'm a husband and I'm a father. And I spend my time, a good majority of my time, working in the fire service. But it can't be my identity. And so as a parent, trying to raise these three beautiful girls that are the world is increasingly challenging yes. for, for them and that what they're exposed to and what they see in these phones and these iPads and all this stuff and what their friends are being exposed to at younger ages of things that yes. just blow my mind. It's um it's a constant struggle and a battle. So my, my Chris and I do not have this figured out and um this is where we, this is kind of where Sparks create in our relationship is trying to not overcorrect, but yeah, not undercorrect and yes. how we manage it. But um, I got a good teammate in that, right? Yes, you do. Yeah, I have a good teammate in it. But yeah, but the, the girls are, the, my, my family is, um, I, I've always stated like people talk about the fire service and the barometer of my success is with my, my girls and, and my Chris. Me and Chris. You said um, you were um, a chaplain. Yes. How do you like that? I mean, I know you. Yeah. So obviously competing, I've been um, part of the Federation and California Fire Chaplains um, since I believe 2000. I think I became a member of the California Federation of Fire Chaplains back in 2016. Um, obviously with my duties as assigned, um, it's very limited on my capacity, but I've been, had the privilege to, uh, do some dedications. Um, I've done funerals, um, I've done weddings, um, in and out of state, um, according to what laws will allow things to be done. Um, and as I stated, I'll be doing a funeral, um, 
for a family friend just next next Friday. So, you know, here's the thing about um, chaplaincy. But again, it's uh, it just it to me, it's just really um, natural fit. And, and the reason being is, um, I I feel you know there's this formality of what people believe you know a chaplain does and who a chaplain is and what how they work. Um, but the ministry, ministry of presence, it's like someone needs a bottle of water, get them a bottle of water. Right. And Perfect. I went through, um, what's crazy is I talked to you about my education and how poor I was and I, 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 in regards to education. Um, but what's crazy is I've actually, uh, for my mom, I did it for my mom because she was my champion. I told her before she passed away. Um, I did it in honor of her. Um, but I actually was able to go through and get my master's degree in organizational leadership, um, and with an emphasis on servant leadership. And so the the reason I raised that isn't so it was to honor my mom and to say that where regardless of where I started, God got me to a point to where he was able to advance it took me twenty years to get my master's degree, <laughs> but I got you did it. Uh, in the, the servant leadership part is um chaplains respond and they they deal with a specific incident for a duration of time or they really help shepherd the flock of people that they're assigned to and um because i'm i i do believe that i'm rooted in christ and that i'm trying to emulate what he does um serving as a fire chief yes. as a battalion chief um all of the characteristics of what a chaplain is called to do um is is what I subscribe to. And so uh, the formalities of the the ceremonies or those types of things, they are there. And yes, I do them. Um, but the reason I, I mean, that's something that once my season as a paid professional fire chief comes to an end, chaplaincy will, won't. Oh, okay. So you're going to finish or continue because that's who you are. I mean, it's just, just to me, Christ. it's like I, I legitimately and truly, um, it's really interesting that I, when people are in crisis, mm -hmm. when they've had that worst day. Correct. Um, people are, are, people are better at different things. And um, I, I do, and I do, and I did enjoy engine company life. I like the camaraderie. I like running the calls. I could do without the tragedy. However, um, my wife has said it and others have said it, but, uh, and even like in the funeral settings and loss of life and making death notifications. Um, this could be taken completely out of context, but I'm really comfortable there. I'm really comfortable there. I'm really comfortable coming into that environment and just, um, just being present with somebody. And not saying anything in that, in that silence, in the mourning, in the, the screaming, in the like completely devastated moment. And, and, but knowing I can't fix it. Right. It's not me. To, I, I can't fix this, but I can, but I can be present. It's kind of like knowing that you're going through a situation and I, and I would hope no one would ever take it out of contents or anything like that, but going through a situation and knowing the comfort when the father has his hand on you or his arms wrapped around you, you and I know that feeling. Um, hopefully other people will understand that feeling later on in their life or their walk or wherever they're at right now with Christ. 
they'll feel that presence. And that's what God has given you. He's been able to give you that fulfillment to shine for him so that you're able to comfort those people in that time of need. And that's why you feel you're comfortable. Yeah, I think it's, it's a that. moment of love. I, 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 I absolutely agree with you. I, I do think, but it's the lenses, you know, or the way it's the it's the biblical worldview, not the world worldview. I mean, the biblical worldview, and I've really, I've really digested, and I, I, um, I've experienced it, I've seen it, and I believe in it. That. Um, we referenced it earlier, you know, going back to, again, Genesis 3, the fall. And understanding how the fall impacted me as a child. It impacted my family members. It impacts the culture that I'm in. It impacts everything. Our culture, um, the fall is relevant. If we just stop, pause, look around, and look at our history and the history all the way through the Israelites uh, that's documented through through the Bible and the Old Testament, um, the fall of this world is relevant. And so when you are able to, in the midst of that, any one situation, this is kind of how I look at it. When I have to ring the doorbell or I arrive into a situation, there's obviously a pause and, and asking for the Lord to be present and to support. And in that situation, it's just really understanding that what you're walking into is not how God intended it. Correct. And that God is using this. Yes. Even if we don't understand in the midst of what we feel, the midst of what we do and remembering God's promises and what he has promised in Revelations 21, he's gonna wipe away all tears. He's gonna wipe away, take away all pain. He's gonna take away all of these things. And trying to, in the midst of the noise, the midst of the reality, the midst of who's there, just understanding is, my only job there is love. Right. And, and try to, uh, be a solid ground for somebody to sit there and say, I'm lost and say, and it's okay to be lost. Right. You know what I mean? And, I do. And you, yeah, I it do. isn't that you share, it's going back to kind of what I said at the other point is it's not about verbally, it's not at that point. That's when you share the gospel, but you live the gospel. Right. You're the, it's the good Samaritan, right? You, you just like, if you need a bandaid, here's a bandaid, you need a blanket, here's a blanket, you need water, here's water. Do we need to call people? Do you not even know what to say? This is how we can say it. Right. We'll figure out together. Right. You know, being there. Let's just walk together. Yes. And that's, I mean, what else better is that? There isn't. That's just confirmation for me because Revelation 21 was just text to me this morning. Cody just texted that to me this morning. Yeah. He, he literally did. I told him, what are we doing? And he said, I don't know, doing this whole thing. It just brought me to Revelation 21. And I was that's like, right. that's, so right I, now that's, I don't just, think that's why I'm wrong. So when you just said that right now, I was like, and I know it hit Cody as well because he just texted me that this morning. Yeah. Yeah. Revelation is 21. And that's, and that's, I mean, that's the story. I mean, that's, we started in Genesis three all the way through Revelation in the end. Right. I mean, and we all have our part to do Yeah, and a lot of it doesn't make sense. No, it doesn't. And you just, you keep doing it you keep walking. You, he'll make your path straight. He'll continue to guide us and comfort us. And, and when we do veer a little, because we're, we're, we'll never be perfect until we reach the kingdom of heaven. Amen. But when we do veer, he's, that comfort, Abba, that we're able to come to him and say, forgive me. Like, you know, he knows we're not perfect and we will never be perfect until that time comes. Amen. And walking with Christ right now and being a firefighter yeah. and a father and a husband, just the godly man, what advice would you give somebody that's listening to us or watching us right now 
what advice would you give them knowing that trials are part of life? That is just what we have to go through. What advice could you give them to keep them focused to anything that just pops in? So look, I know, um, I know there's this, uh, you know, cause you said like how I'm observed or what I see and, and, um, and I have no, no pride in it and I have no, no shame in it, you know, but here's the thing is as much as I lean into and I know God's promises, um, I know, um, his truths, I am actively engaged daily in the Bible, um, as much as I can be. And I'm walking with people throughout the weeks and spending time at church. And what I'm saying is I'm trying to be in my family's trying to be saturated in it. Um, in the midst of even all of that though, um, like I said, the, the constant daily of the wrestle of wanting to be comfortable and having idols and, um, the anxieties, um, it hasn't been until recent, but last couple years, um, through the transition of the, the district and going into new positions and the realities of my girls and all of these things. Um, before I get to the advice, I just, I, I want to normalize the fact that anxiety, the struggles, although it says that you need to pray ceasingly and that you should be anxious for nothing and fear nothing as the Lord has promised and he has given. Um, and that is the truth. That is the truth that God has given to us. But um, no, I mean, that, that is what he's given to us. I struggle um, a lot. I don't sleep well. Um, I am anxious a lot. Um, and sometimes I'm confused as to why, because in one breath I can tell myself all the promises. I, I know where to find them. I can go and I can read them. Um, and, and, and this could be taken out of context, but I'm just going to say it. So maybe because maybe someone else feels that way, but there are many things in my life I know, um, that from what I think to what I play out that, that demonstrate that I doubt God, that I doubt my, my behavior. I, I love God. I, I think there's no condemnation in Christ. I, I know that I'm saved and I know that he has this figured out, but I know for a fact that me not being courageous in times, that me being scared in times, for me being anxious in times. Um, the, the root of that is doubting his promises, doubting who he is and doubting what he has done and what he will continue to do. Yes. And so, um, this is the thing is that my motivation for people is understanding is that that is not unique to, I think to any one of us. Um, I think that the, that my recommendation is, uh, there is this persona that we have to put up this facade and that we cannot be authentic. We cannot be true. We cannot share our, our weakness. And, and the whole Bible, all 66 books in one way or another, it demonstrates how God uses weakness to create a strength or to restore or, or use something that someone deemed as unvaluable or worthless. And that was the mechanism he used to do something great. Yes. Um, the, the motivation of even getting into the fire service and in uh, respectfully, I think it's it remove the fire service. I think it's ministry, volunteer work, regular work, uh, family, uh, relationships at any level. Um, and it, it's it's wicked hard to do, but it's deemed valuable in my life is that you, we need to be authentic. We need to be true. We need to be transparent. We need to 
we need to expose the things where we are weak. We need to expose the things we're struggling with. We need to find those people. And it doesn't matter who, it doesn't have to be a paid professional, whoever it is, but it's like, I am struggling with X and I feel like X, like, uh, uh, maybe it's, you know, with thoughts or actions or behaviors, like whatever that thing is. Um, and I'm struggling with it or I'm anxious about this. We got to find someone to talk to. Yes. And so that's really my, my recommendation is be guarded against feeling, um, again, creating that facade or that wall that you have to guard and defend. I am, I'm still undoing a wall that I started creating, I think when I was five or six and much of that is still there because even though the people or the circumstances or things have changed for some reason, I convert back or I feel, and I'm, I'm rooted in it. Right. And it's because I spent probably decades of my life, not acknowledging the, the true struggles I had and told everyone I was fine. And I built these protective mechanisms, the, the way that I think, the things that I do, where I find happiness in. Um, and now it's like muscle memory. And it's hardwired in me. And so it rears its head in ugly places and ugly times, and it's all a condition of my sin. And so that's what I'm saying is I really wish, and I don't know if it's because there was so much going on in my younger years or I didn't have those people to confide into um, but man, thing, you know, maybe a lot of my anxieties and all of my issues and a lot of things I'm fighting with would be so much more manageable and or not as bad as they are. If, if I'd been authentic and open and true to saying, I'm not the best at this. I am weak in this. I am not strong. Um, I need help with this, but that's what culture didn't, that's not what's cool, right? That's not, that's not what's strong. Right. So that's my advice is saying, listen, um, I, I will tell you that, you know, Christ sent people out in pairs. He, 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 he told us to be part of a community. He told us to be part of a family. Um, he, he tells us very clearly to admit our sins to one another yeah. and, and, and to find encouragement and support. Um, it, it, he doesn't say go find 45 people or a hundred people. No. I think that it's it's meant to be intimate. It's meant to be small. It's meant to be people that you can confide in and build in and work in. Yes. And so my thing is, if you're five years old or however you all are, um, the recommendation is not only being authentic and being open and being true and being vulnerable to your weaknesses, but build your village early. Build your village early. That is real good advice. And I definitely will think about that. And, and I know a lot of people will. Um, as a fireman, I first off want to thank you, Brian, for sharing with us and giving your testimony. I mean, it's awesome. See, the things that you shared today, I would have never known. And yeah. not unless you ask, but would have never known because your walk with Christ right now, your light shines very bright with you and your family. Even, you know, out in the streets, wherever you're at, you can tell. You can, well, praise God you, for can that. you can completely tell that you see Christ through you. I mean, he just, he magnifies it. And I think that's why when people do see you, they, they know, you know, and my husband always tells me, 
when you get in certain situations or you're out somewhere and you see someone that's walking up to you, but then they turn around and walk the other way, it's not because of anything that you've done or you said, it's because the spiritual battle and they don't want to deal with it. There's truth in that. <laughs> they don't want to deal with it. And I, and I hold tight to that. Yeah. But as a firefighter, um, what would be some good advice, three, maybe some safety tips for anybody that's watching or listening on um, in case they are in a fire or if something happens. Oh, or we're talking just straight, just straight public fire. safety. Yeah, yeah public listen, safety. I mean, no, I think at the, the highest level, some takeaways of anyone that's just um, for all of us, right? I mean, we need to be proactive versus reactive in all things. Um, and, I, and I think that uh, from any family that's listening, um, there, there are a tremendous amount of resources on any fire district's website on the specifics. But here's the deal is, is as a family, um, you need to create a safe environment uh, for your family. And, you know, if you have, if your, if your home isn't well-maintained, I'm not talking about, um, you know, fresh paint and those types of things, but if you, uh, if the exterior of a home has a, a tremendous amount of rubbish and it's not only because it's burning, um, but you can't walk around or get around when it's completely pitch dark in a safe manner, um, you know, you need to, you need to try to keep your residence free of clutter interior and exterior because, um, when the lights go out and you can't see and the neighbor's house is on fire and we arrive and we're trying to help you or help them, um, it, it complicates issues, right? And that even goes with the vehicles. Um, inside your vehicles, it's like just being proactive, keeping them maintained, uh, making sure that uh, you know where you are, uh, make sure you always have two ways out of every situation that you're in. And I, I joke with my girls all the time. I mean, it's even when we go out to dinner, we go into a movie theater, we go into different places. We see those events all the way across the nation where escalating domestic disputes, um, escalating um, active shooter situations, whatever it may be. Um, we as society become really naive um, to our situational awareness, right? And being situational aware. And so uh, the, two, the two things I would say is we need to be proactive and that is in everything from not only keeping things clean, but also communicating with our family, right? About this is a smoke detector. This is how, you know, if we have a fire, this is what we expect. This is what you do. This is who you would call these. You can't, you can't articulate or speak those things right. when it happens. Right. And that's what, that's, that's 80% of what we deal with as emergency responders. We get it seen and everyone's trying to figure it out when it's happening. No, you get to figure out when there's not emotion, there's no urgency and things aren't happening. So I would say that, you know, with your family members and yourself, I mean, you got to be situation where, and you need to have a, you need to have a primary and secondary plan in all things that you do. There's a tremendous amount of resources if you live up in the hills um, in regards to how you can have defensible space for your homes, evacuation routes and plans, um, and and also your local cities can do the same thing. But it's uh, bottom line is eighty percent of what we do is is because people do not um, they do not have a plan for half of what they do where they don't follow simple directions. Right, panic. So just follow the directions and have a plan. <laughs> The panic, the panic. What about on a two-story home? How many fire extinguishers should you have, like in a thir three? Well, I, I mean, look, I mean, residential homes. That's the thing that's interesting about residential homes is, and that's that, like I was saying about the clutter and all that stuff, <laughs> is, is because the, residential homes are people's kingdoms. I mean, that's the thing is that's their domain. Um, we can inspect them when they're built, and that's essentially it. You know what I mean? And uh, we walk into. Um, all kinds of environments in people's houses, um, everyone from hoarders all the way down to people that live very simply and very clean. 
Um, it's always, it's wise. I mean, having an extinguisher on every store, um, a fire extinguisher on every level of your residence, having one in the garage. Um, so we have one, we have them in, in most stories and in, in the garage. Um, and then carrying one in your vehicle would be safe. But I think the thing is this, a majority of the homes these days have uh, sprinkler systems, right? Yeah. I mean, so. I don't uh, want to see if my works. And you don't want to see if yours works. It puts out <laughs> a lot of water. Uh, and, and, but here's the thing too, I, I think is another point of advice is even with the, uh, um, homes that have sprinkler systems, a lot of people don't have, you know, extinguishers inside their homes. They probably keep them in the garage. Some people keep them inside their kitchen. Um, but your smoke detectors and carbon monoxide detectors is yeah. probably the, the two most important alerting systems that you can have. And the thing is when you leave your home, um, it's, it's recommended you always shut all your doors. And the reason being is, um, that's usually what happens is someone starts a fire and as a room of content, garbage can fire, um, and they start opening doors and windows. And that actually introduces us not only auction, but it will, fires in the gutter path of least resistance and it'll travel throughout the house. Oh. So there are many times that we have a well-involved kitchen fire um, and we we almost near or say zero visibility. It's in the cabinets, two-story home. Um, we go, we'll be able to ventilate, do things. And the rooms that all the old doors shut are completely unaffected. Oh, um, okay. But there are doors that are all open, smoke damage through and through, and it's it, everything is a complete loss. Didn't even know that. Now I know. So, I mean, again, it's it's one of those things in, in your homes. We have we have different codes for commercial occupancies. Um, there's best practices. I think that you need to have a, I think the best practice have a fire extinguisher within your home. Make sure your learning systems are working. Um, and then you obviously need to, yeah, that you have the extra degree of risk if you don't have sprinkler systems. Because yeah. in sprinkler systems, the doors being shut too, one of the things is um, it is rare that we have life loss in homes um, with sprinkler systems. But the times that we do, it's usually for smoke inhalation, not for the fires. Got it. So sleeping with the doors closed at night is kind of a good thing. And It's a smart recommendation. Yes, we do. Uh, I want to thank you, Brian. Um, Hopefully it was helpful. <laughs> it was great. It was great. I was just trying to, you answered pretty much everything we had. Did I? Yes, you did. Everything nailed it. I'm like, what else am I going to say to him? Well, I didn't even, I really didn't even uh, look <laughs> at the like, questions. I no, thought I'd just great. come in cold and... <laughs> It I'm like, I'm great. just going to be me. Right. So, And like I mentioned at the beginning, I was nervous, but like you said, conversation, just sitting here. Right. Kristen, we want to thank you first off for coming and sharing part of your testimony with about your husband and your life um, on Godspeed testimony. So we want to thank you for that. So we were talking to Brian a little while ago um, and he was sharing a few things about how you two met. Okay. Okay. <laughs> um, so there's an article of clothing that's involved in this one. Yes, he said something about pigtails, and uh, and so we, we need to settle that that record. We need to settle that. So he continues to think that I was wearing a pair of overalls and I had pigtails, and I keep telling him that's not right. And I've shown him a photo of it and everything, but um, he is absolutely convinced. So somehow, I've um, the image that he has is me with a some pigtails and a pair of overalls, and that's it. But instead, I was wearing a black tank top, a, a skirt, and probably no shoes because I was in my own house. And I had these yellow lens tinted sunglasses. And he was like, no, you weren't. I said, yes, I was. I showed him a picture of that first night and he still denies it. So he's absolutely convinced. He is convinced. Do you even own a pair of overalls? I do. And so the overalls came from a day that he took me to San Francisco. 
And so he wanted to go to San Francisco, spend the day, the wharf, the whole bit. And um, I think I was at work. So I said, grab me some clothes or at school. I said, just grab me some clothes. You know, you can grab whatever you want. Just pick it and I'll change out of what I was. I think I was at work maybe and I'll change. And he'd grab the overalls because he liked them. So we do have a photo that's hanging in the hallway. It's like 20 something years old. And we're together and I am wearing some overalls with pigtails. No, there was another pair of overalls from a Christmas party. Um, no pigtails. I still am wondering where the pigtails are coming from. I think he saw pigtails on you. Which must be this. Must be that cute, innocent girl, right? Because he was, uh, he just glowed when he was talking about you. So he also mentioned, uh, which I think, um, even for a lot of our listeners and viewers, I think it's, it's, um, it's amazing how men um, find their bride. It's especially godly men when they find their bride, but how he knew you were the one. And he said, when you went out to dinner, was it dinner and Valentine's Day, right? Mm -hmm. he, you're the gift he gave you. What went through your mind at that point in time? He was concerned that by presenting a Bible to me as a gift, it was going to be like all at that point, it was going to be a telltale sign. Like, is this going to go one direction really bad? Or is it going to be received in a positive way? Um, but growing up and spending time in church from the time I was little till about middle school when I went down a different path, you know, you find your your way. Right. Um, it wasn't something I was opposed to. I think that, you know, it was something deeply seated in me that I was like, all right, okay, been here. I, I know this. I have no objection to it. Um, I admired him. I liked spending time with him. And I was like, Okay, not a problem. And he's like, we have to be rooted in faith. If we're not, then our relationship won't grow in the way that I want it to grow. And I was like, okay, no objections to it. I was like, we'll just see where that goes. So um, it definitely was something I think that it was in God's plan because, you know, he had me early on when I didn't really know much, you know, learning and being in church and then kind of steer a different direction, middle school, high school, college. And then it just, I found my way back on that path again. And him, I always say, you know, he's my, definitely my gift from God because he's, from the time that I met him, it was like, okay, this is what we're designed to be doing, walking in life together. That's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah. When he tells that story, he's just, you could see it in his eyes. He's like, you know, and he gets his position in and it, it's, it, it's very, I'm going to tell you right now, that's a, that's a really, uh, that's amazing. It's very strong. He's it's emotional. Guy. Um, which is what we're looking for, you know, what women are looking for. We're yeah. looking for that godly man to lead the home, you know, spiritually, um, that foundation that they root into the family. But on another note, um, you're a, a woman of God and you're a teacher, correct? Yeah. Okay. Being a teacher, uh, being married to a firefighter who is actually a man of God, how does that affect you? Like, how does that, how does your life, um, how should I say it? When you know that when he was a firefighter at the beginning, um, when he'd have to go out to those calls or he's on four, three off or however they did it back then or whatever they did, what, how did you ground yourself to know that he was going to be safe? Or I think that, you know, just thinking about it, I was always at peace. Like I just trusted, I knew, like I didn't fear or I wasn't afraid or I wasn't scared. I think having faith, you just, you trust that God's plan has already been decided. You just, you're kind of 
comfortable, not that you're not afraid or you're not thinking about them, but you're not dwelling on it and scared and wondering, are you going to come home? Are you going to come home? And he's lost friends, I mean, out on calls. And I mean, it's happened. I just never let that be what drove me. I just always knew that he was going to do what was right. He was well-trained. He had a very level head on him. And he was going to make sure that everyone in his crew was also safe. Um, there were times where I thought, you know, hey, if if it comes down to it and there was a compromising situation, he would be the captain at the front and he would go down with the ship. And I knew he would always be that one, but he would be somebody that did it because he always knew that he was going to spend eternity in heaven. And so he was going to make sure that he took care of his crew. And that would be something that I would admire that in him, like, okay, that's that was how you went out. But um, he made sure that he was always trained to the best training. He was always ahead of things. He was always looking at things from a different perspective. And I just always felt comfortable with that. Um, yeah, so I, I definitely knew that... Um, he would be safe, not that all the situations would play out that way. So I would always try not to get ahead of myself with, oh, this could happen or this could happen. So, right. That's amazing. Because being a, a wife of a firefighter is, it gets challenging sometimes for, you know, especially for non-believers. And that's my biggest thing. Um, and we pray for all them and, you know, we, we hope for the best and we just want the best for the families and we want them to be safe, you know, out there on the front lines. And that's our biggest thing. Um, so yeah, being a firefighter's wife is like, you know, it can be challenging at times and, but being a believer and, you know, and grounded in Christ is, is pretty smooth for you. I mean, you have your minutes and motions that you go through now with, um, him being the only man in the house and daughter was surrounded by an awful <laughs> lot of girls, including the cat and the dog. <laughs> they didn't tell you that. Yes. We are talking about that. Yeah. Yes. And how is that for you when... There's a lot of different personalities, you know, but he does a great job. Everyone always asks like, oh, you're the only man. He goes, yeah, but I got a lot of princesses. And he just treats us all so special. He makes sure that for holidays, it's not just, you know, spoiling me like Valentine's Day. He makes sure that he does something for each of them. And he makes sure that they know the kind of man that he is so that eventually when they're looking for somebody that will be there you know, boyfriend or husband, they'll look at how he was with me and hopefully they'll desire to have a similar relationship. So he's really trying to model that for them um, rather than somebody who maybe doesn't have those same qualities. The relationship he has with each of the girls is so different, um, but they definitely look to him. They look up to him. They'll, they'll go to him, especially our oldest, definitely a daddy's girl. Um, she'll call him. She's not afraid to, you know, have conversations with him and make sure that if she's going through a situation that she gets his opinion on that being a teenager. So I think that has a lot to show for him. Most girls will be, a, you know, they either have a relationship with their dad or they don't. Yes. Um, but the fact that she has a great relationship with him, I'm, I'm really, you should see it's beautiful. Um, and then each of them, he tries to do different things at Christmas. He took each one of them out separately and had a little date night with them. 
went shopping. They got to pick out gifts for everyone that they got to give. So we tried to spend time with each of them with his busy schedule on top of that. Tries to make sure he has time for me for dates so that he can make sure that I feel loved and taken care of. So, you know, it's not just a wife. He's got these girls that he's making sure that they know they're valued as well. That's great. I know a man of many hats, you know, he's, um, yeah. does a lot. And, um, we, we see that we see, especially when I see you two out, when we do see you out, um, we see the love of Christ through you two. We really do. It shows, it shows this is even way before I even knew your status and Brian and yourself. I, you can just see it. You, the way you, you know, it's the fruits, it's yeah. the fruits and, and it's true. It's it's very true when you see the fruits of the spirit in people, you know, you know. And I was telling Brian earlier that when my husband, he's always said something to me that's always stuck to me. Like if we're out somewhere and someone is walking towards me or we're walking towards them and they look at me and they turn around and walk away, I'm like, not, it isn't like, what did I do? I just know it's a spiritual battle out there. So the uncomfortableness, the you know, it isn't anything that I've done. It's just they, it's a spiritual battle. So that battle just keeps me on my toes as well. And knowing that, you know, when we get, um, when we get, you know, as we would say, stone stone at us, you know, um, we know it's because of Christ and we know it's our belief and all that. So with you, how do you balance out uh, the whole atmosphere of the firefighter's wife to being a, you're a Christian preschool teacher, right? Third grade. Third right grade. Yeah. Oh boy. How do you balance that? That alone, how do you? <laughs> I did middle school for many, many years, 20 years in middle school, public school. Now I'm in a private school, third grade. So. Wow. Yeah. How from, is it? I love it. So I love going from um, public school to private school The before not being able to share the word of God to that's all you do. You know, so definitely um, I, it has just been such a blessing to be able to grow in my own faith being at that school um, that I'm in now and then share with kids that are eight, nine years old. Wow. Um, yeah, and then it helps me to want to be more in the Word, to know more. That way I can be more knowledgeable of stuff where a lot of times we kind of you tinker in things, you read your Bible, you go to Sunday school or go to church on Sundays or even volunteer in Sunday schools and stuff. But if you're not in it, you just don't have that same um, depth of knowledge. Right. But that when you're teaching, you're really getting into it or I'll ask them questions like a story that we read. I'm like, I read this, like I need more. So it's definitely helped me grow as a Christian being in the private sector of school rather than just in public school and seeing the constant spiritual battle that you're up against. <laughs> um, so it's definitely nicer in that I not feel like stones are constantly being thrown at you, um, but the, you're definitely around other Christians. You're down around other Christian families and kids, and you're helping to, to grow them and see that the role that they play. I, I love it. It's only my second year there, but 20 something years in education, so. So that's a good plus right there. Yeah, yeah Brian was saying it takes a village, you know, and, uh, and it does, it takes a village and, and that's what we have to look at and that's where fellowship comes in and the grounding of that. So growing up, um, 
How was your life growing up? Uh, I mean, you don't have to get too into depth, but you can, if you'd like to share something with us. So Brian grew up in more of a Christian home. Um, I grew up in a home where um, my father was uh, Jewish faith. My mom had kind of a Christian background, but neither of them attended church regularly. No, neither of them spent Sundays, you know, going into church Um I met some friends in kindergarten that eventually, family of five, two sets of twins, yes, great <laughs> friends, um, and they invited me to church with them on Sunday, and I was like, I want to go to church, let's go. So they'd pick me up every Sunday morning, and they would take me to church. Um, the church was about 20 minutes away, and then they'd bring me home, and they did that every single week. Wow. And so I'd go to um, church camps on in the summer with them, VBS uh, and stuff, but never with my family. Um, they would have like um, family days at church and I'd invite my mom. She would come occasionally, but that was the extent of growing up in the church, which why probably when middle school came and I needed church the most. Right. And I was kind of finding myself, it was easy to go away from church. I didn't have that same strength in the home. Um, my kids, currently little schooler, she's in church. She's going to youth group. She's going to church camp. She's still in it because she's in a Christian home. So I can definitely see the difference. Um, they always say you try to do things slightly different than the way <laughs> you were brought up. So I didn't already see we're doing it differently. Um, but my neither one of my siblings went um, to church regularly, so it was kind of Sundays weren't about church. They were about watching football or sports. Right. Um, until again, I met Brian, and then we started getting back into church. Um, did Brian tell you the story that he's the one who, before my dad passed away, he had the hard conversation and said that you know if you pass away and don't accept Jesus in your life, you know where you're going to go. Wow. No. Yeah. That for you. So, um, yeah. So he was always one that my family, when they would come for holidays, whether it was Easter or Mother's Day or Christmas, they always knew this was a Christian home. We prayed before meals. They knew Christ was the center of our lives. Um, it was never uncomfortable, but they just knew that's what we did. And we wouldn't take them to church when they came at Christmas for Christmas Eve services or Christmas services. If they were here at Easter, that's where they went. And they came, um, whether it was comfortable or not, they always were present. Um, so, you know, my dad got sick, he had cancer. We went to the hospital where he was and um, we had left, came back home. He was still there and we were going back because they're like, his days are set the end and the days are numbered. and. We're driving back up. He was in Carson City, so it was a couple-hour drive. And Brian asked, he goes, is there anything if you leave and he hasn't passed away and you go back home that you'll regret? He's like, I, I don't want you to have any regrets. I don't want this to be something where you're like, I wish I would have done this or I should have done this. And I looked at him and I said, we need to have the hard conversation with him. Like, he needs to know, like, who Jesus is, and he can either decide to accept or not. Like, I don't know where he stands on that, but like, that's the only thing that if we don't do that, then I'll leave, you know, wanting to to have gone back and changed that moment of time. 
And so he's like, all right. And I said, he goes, do you think you can have that conversation? And I'm like, I just don't think I have that relationship with my father to have that conversation. So we walk into the hospital room and I was expecting it to just be my mom and my sister and my dad. And I walk in and there's another couple in there that I didn't recognize. And it happened to be a lady that my father worked with that the whole time that they had worked together, she kept planting seeds with him while she was a Christian. She had married a pastor and they were living in the Angels Camp areas and Sonora area. And they had heard my dad was sick and they drove up and they were in that hospital room for hours before we showed up. And then we walked in and it was our mission walking in there that we were going to we were going to have this conversation. And she had come up because it was her mission to have the same conversation. That is so good. (laughs) Yeah. So we're sitting in there and the whole time it was like, okay, how are we going to just, neither one of us knew what our agendas were, but we had the exact same agenda. So at one point I'm like, okay, as bold as I am, um, I'm like, all right, we just got to do this. You know, dad, we're going to have this coming to Jesus moment. And she looked at me dead in the eyes and she goes, this is exactly why we're here. We're here for the same conversation. And everything kind of just took that turn. And it was, you know, all about how we could make sure before he passed away that he knew and made that choice. And he did make the choice to accept Christ. Brian was there. He, it was him and this other woman and her husband that, you know, kind of did it in a private way so that he didn't feel uncomfortable or called out on it. But yeah, that was, wow. That's amazing. So that just goes to show the kind of man Brian is and the kind of leader and the kind of husband, um, son-in-law, you know, that he is. You know, it is, he knew that that's what he's called to do by being a man of God to, you know, you don't want anyone to not know about Christ. And he was like, I'm not going to let your father either not know and make that decision. The Lord says, I'll leave the 99 for that one. Yeah. And Lo and behold, he was, you know, and they say you'll plant seeds. You never know who's planting them and you never know whether those seeds will ever reap fruit. Right. But she had planted those seeds way before I even met Brian. So 20, 30 years and she had no idea. And then I meet Brian. We live our life in that moment. It was all part of God's plan. That's some, that is so beautiful. It's like we plant the seeds and God does all the watering and we don't get to see the fruits yet until it's that time. And God always has the righteous time and the right, the perfect moment. But to be able to witness your dad turning his life over to Christ before he passed away must have been amazing. It was. And he was scared in the conversation that they had. He was scared because he grew up in a home in which his family was Jewish practicing. And so... They had different beliefs. And so he had said to Brian, his last one of the things he had said, he goes, well, if I accept that there's heaven and and that, you know, accept Christ, then my mom who's passed away and my brother who's passed away who didn't accept him, I'll never see him again. So that's it. Well, um, So just knowing that there's people in your life that, you know, you just keep working at them and there's the power of prayer and just never, never give up. Because even the most 
stubborn, hard-headed of people, you know, even on their deathbed, it, it pays. It pays to know. We'll see him again. There's always times, too, though, Kristen, that my husband reminds me a lot of. He tells me a lot that um, that when they're on their deathbed, we don't know they within themselves have asked Christ into their life. Like, Lord, forgive me of my sins and, you know, take me with you. So have hope that yeah. those will be there in heaven with when you go. Yeah. You know, have hope because my husband has always, that is one thing he's always done with between him and I and our grandson and our daughter and our other grandson, that you never know those moments when someone's on their last, taking their last breath, where their last words were, you know, take me with you, Jesus. You know, I'm a sinner. We don't know. So just have hope that you will see them again. And living your life and they see that life lived out in you and they'll yeah, see exactly. that difference. People always say they see a difference and you mentioned that. They see that difference in you and they don't know what it is no. if they don't know you. But it's like you're different. And they've it is you're modeling always that. Eventually when they find out what it is that's different in you, often they're like, well, I want a piece of that. Yes. And then it makes those conversations and those moments easier. The whole time you don't realize that you are planting those seeds for yes. by them being a witness to you. And that's the truth. And that's what you get to do with your girls, you know, the raising them up, you know, knowing that who Jesus Christ is and raising them to know what a godly man is and what a woman of God means to be. And, you know, um, when I look back at Proverbs 31, you know, we will never be that specific type, but I'll never fold clothes or whatever you call that thing. You know what I mean? I won't weave and all that, but I know how to take care of my family. And that's the Proverbs 31 that we need to be just to be able to make sure that our, our godly husband and our children are well taken care of. Treating our, you know, house cleaners the same way, you know, yeah. that's kind of being a servant, your servant girls, making sure there's enough milk, you know, making sure that the, the barns are fully stocked because your husband, your husband is very well known in the city gates. Mm -hmm. Your husband is very well known in town. So you, you know, you're, you and Brian are doing something bright and that is living for Christ. And then it's showing your daughters exactly what life is supposed to be, at least to us, you know, for those listening or watching, um, living a, a, a Christ life centered is, is what gets me through the day. I know it has to get through you through the day because you're a fireman's wife and raising three girls, sometimes on your own. How's that? How? <laughs> The single parent life sometimes, lucky enough for us, um, the last probably, gosh, it's been 10 years or so, he's been in more of an administrative role. Yeah. So the administrative role has freed him up to be home a lot more. But before that, um, there was, you know, it was a challenge at having the little ones and he's gone for two days, three days, four days right. um, at a time. We just kind of adjusted. We always giggle and laugh about it. It's like being an astronaut re-entering the Earth's atmosphere when he gets off of ship. You know, here we are just going about our business and he's coming back into it. And so he always has to kind of take that backseat role a little bit and realize, okay, give it a little bit of time and then I can intervene. Um, but now that he's been in a role where he's home at nights, 
um, even though he has long hours and he's working a lot, um, being home at night, he's able to, you know, have dinner, say prayers, put the girls to bed. So it's definitely he's more present. Um, they would always call him or FaceTime before, but it's been a lot different now that he's been home than when they were little. So I think that um, they probably don't remember as much of him being gone or those Christmases at the firehouse or just mom. Um, they probably know more of life now with him there, which is great. It is great, especially with them getting older and what, a 14-year-old? 14, 10, and 8. There you go. Yeah. Yes. That's what he said. He said before you came home, he said, I got to um, take the girls to sports. And he says, and she's going to probably think that I'm going to drop each kid off at a different sport place. Oh, he's so smart. He knows. And they're so good. I mean, they'll tell him where to go, too. <laughs> they're they're definitely trained. I We laugh. You know, sometimes they'll tell me, you got to loosen up. Like, you're so so uptight, you know, and I said, that's because I'm so used to how it, it was. You've got us all like, you know, military, you know, the fire service yes. is much like the military. Everything yes. is done according to certain ways. And so you just got to have all everything in its right little place and in its boxes. And so we kind of get used to doing that. But he's like, lighten up, you guys. It, it's okay. You know, <laughs> I'm like now, now we're lightening up. Okay. So sometimes he'll be like, I'm going to be late, you know. And he's like, it's okay if you're a little late. He's, you know, he just wants them to not be so stressed out or uptight. So he's definitely seen that um, as he's changed roles and stuff that there's more to life. You know, he wants to, you know, be serious about things, but at the same time, he wants them to enjoy it. He doesn't want it to all be about, okay, we got to be 20 minutes early and we've got to, you know, if you're a little late or if you end up at the wrong place, like, it's okay. Right. Enjoy life. No, he's a journey. He's living it through your eyes right now. And and I mean that because it's he's taken on part of that role with oh, you. Now so that good. <laughs> he does such a good job. They all laugh. He he can do fine. He's like, I got this. They're, yeah, that's good. As a fireman's wife, what advice would you give somebody that um a young couple that would be in the same position that you are? Maybe not with three children, but um as being a fire, uh, you know, a firefighter's wife and being a believer, what would be some good advice that you can give her? Probably the best advice is not to worry and trust. If you continue to remember that you have to trust in Christ and that it says, do not worry about today, you know, if you're constantly worried about them, um, then you have a tendency when you have the conversations with your husband, whether it's in the evenings, you know, when they get some downtime, you're projecting your your anxiousness upon them. And if they're worried about you at home, then they can't worry about being at work and staying safe. Right. So you have to remember that as hard as it is um, to not worry about them, you have to just remember to trust. You trust in Christ and you let him take hold and remember that it's already already planned out. Everything is already determined. You're just living it out day by day, getting the little bits he's giving you. Um, there's nothing you can do. Right. You're so right. we can be worried about it and then you can make them worry about it. And then nothing's going to work out. I mean, you're not going to change anything. You're not in control. So you just have to let it go. Um, Pray about it, pray nightly, and just remember that he's 
he's a control. It's hard. It's not easy. But the more you do it, the more comfort you'll have in that. And then find friends that are also Christians that you can share with and um, just kind of give your anxieties and worries to them. That way you can build community with other fellow Christian firefighter wives. And that way, when your husband does come home, you can be husband and wife and not worry about everything else. And having that community, like you said, that village is super important. Those play dates when you do have kids that moms can be moms and kids can be kids and then eventually just girls nights and things that you can do to just have time for yourself. I think that's important. That's awesome. That is awesome. And you look very like at peace with it. So that that helps out. Like you said, true fact statement, you know, we don't have control. Yeah, it does nobody any good to work. It doesn't. We don't have control. We, there's no control. Everything is in his hands, whether we want to give it to him and take it back or whatever we're doing, it's still in his hands. And, and he's such a generous and loving, caring person that no matter what we do, he'll always forgive us and always. Brian reminds me, even our kids are a gift from God. They're on loan. And as much as you want to think that they're yours and you're raising them, they're actually his and he gave them to you to raise. Yes. And so we're just trying to show them Christ through our actions and raise them up to then make disciples of other people. But they're our mission. You know, that's our, we're missionaries to them too. And so. That's just, good advice you know, out there. So you just have to remember those things and it's not easy and we're going to all mess up. Trust me. Um, yeah, we're all going to fall short and we're all going to sin. And you just have to remember that when you mess up to, you know, as much as we ask God to forgive us, you have to remember to ask your kids to forgive you. Never. Every time you mess up too, like I messed up. Mom is human. Right. No one's perfect. God's the only one who's perfect. And then when you show your weaknesses to them, you're building a relationship with your kids to see that when they mess up, they just come to you and they're like, I messed up. You know, and we're not hiding from them and they're not going to hide from you. So, I, you know, I have to say, oh, I messed up. I, you know, I yelled at you and, you, you know, you didn't deserve that. I was just frustrated about something or there were other things going on at work or there were other things I was upset about. You forgive me and hug on them. And they're like, yes, mom, you know, and yes, show your weaknesses. You yes. can't be afraid to show that. I love that advice because it's, and the more we get grounded in Christ, the more we start to see when we do make those small or even big mistakes, we know we can ask for forgiveness and, and we do show that weakness and, that makes us righteous in God's eyes, and that's what we can do. Kristen, I want to thank you. I want to thank you for taking your time and, and talking with us and sharing part of you and being his wife, <laughs> <laughs> being a firefighter's wife. We really appreciate it. We can't thank you enough. And, and I'll tell you again over and over that Brian and Kristen, the helmets you're lying does shine bright and very bright that people do know that you do serve a gracious God, that his light does shine through you guys. Thank you. So you're, you're doing it. You're on point with them. Good. So thank I want to thank you and uh, thank you for having me. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> thank you guys so much for watching this episode of Godspeed. We really appreciate it. If you'd like to support us further in the description, you'll find the link to our Patreon where you'll get special access to videos, bloopers, and pictures that may not make the cut. 
Come back next week on Friday at 2 p.m. to see an episode between me and Tammy talking about what we want for the podcast. Again, we really want to thank you for watching today's episode. We really hope you enjoyed and that you learned something today. We hope you have a blessed day. Peace out.